evolving your relationship with money is a very personal process. I do think though that all transformation starts at awareness. And if you're going to change your relationship with money, you got to first know where you are and what got you there. Or you might have a bad relationship with debt. You might have a really big spending problem. You might not want to take on more than one credit card. You might not know anything about investing. Like Until you are moderately aware, it's hard to change. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Flow Over Fear podcast, where it is our mission to help you to rise above fear and realize your ultimate potential in leadership and life. I'm your host, Adam Hill, and it is my goal to share with you the human side of high performance. My guests share their experience with fear, anxiety, struggle, challenge, and most importantly, despite all of it, how they rose above it to achieve incredible results. So if you're ready to rise up, let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Flow Over Fear. I have a great guest today. I'm really excited about this one. Uh, Aaron Velke is a keynote speaker, a CEO and coach. His career has been dedicated to building movements, companies and leaders. Get Out of Your Own Way, which is his coaching company, helps successful entrepreneurs to find a clear direction in their lives and their business. They find more revenue, they find more freedom, and they find more purpose in their lives and their business. He leads retreats and leadership training. I know he's got a retreat coming up in May that we're going to talk about. Uh, Leadership trainings for hundreds of people across the United States, creating change for other emerging leaders and companies. He's the CEO of Money Club, an economic empowerment and financial wellness organization that blends personal finance with personal development. And he's the author of a guidebook called Let Her Play, which is a guide for sports coaches and parents that coach female athletes. Outside of the professional sphere, Aaron is a dad, a new dad, a comic book nerd, and an adrenaline junkie. And we're going to jump into a lot of that today. Thanks for joining me, Aaron. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Adam. And I'm really excited to be here. Really grateful to be here. Yeah, me too, man. This is uh, this is great. And and just you know, reading through your bio, um, you're doing a lot of incredible things, but you're doing a lot of a lot of different things, which is really cool. How do you balance all of that stuff? How do you how do you kind of how do you juggle all of the knives, so to speak, and make sure that you're getting balance in your own life? I have learned to let go of balance in some yeah. ways. To uh, to use the the moniker that's in your background, right? The the flow that I tend to find is letting go of balance and always finding my way to harmony. And I I like the word harmony a little bit better because it puts less of a pressure on equality, so to say. I find myself wildly out of balance a lot. However, I like to think of harmony as, you know, I can swing all the way up to one side of the keyboard and if I hit the right notes, they still harmonize, they still work together. So that's sort of the, the way that I think about it. The way that it happens in practicality is systems, really good organization, and more than anything, I try to pay attention to what matters and absolutely let go of what doesn't. Mm-hmm. That's a, yeah, that's fascinating. You're mentioning the systems and, and things like that. And I love that approach on balance, meaning you're you're kind of so it sounds like you're letting go of of balance, but approaching more harmony. I really really dig that. Uh, cause I, I, I always hear 
uh, professionals and, and high achievers say that they're trying to find balance, but struggling with it. I never hear uh, professionals and high achievers saying, I finally found that balance. Uh, so finding harmony, that's, that's huge. But the idea of, of using systems, this has come up a few times in a, in a couple of different interviews uh, as, a, as a way to kind of get over the stress, get over the anxiety and get over just the chaos. Uh, how, how are you using those systems and organization to really help fuel you and make you a better leader and juggle all this stuff? Mm. Systems have helped me and, and systems by design are intended to do this, but I've spent a lot of time avoiding them. Now I have a much better relationship with systems and systems help me stay in the thing that I'm great at. And even understanding that can help someone go from no systems to three or four or five much faster than it took me. Systems keep you where you're great. If that's true and you're great at conversations, have more conversations. You'll do well in business and you'll do well with the outcomes of relationships and the power of the network. If you're really good at Excel sheets, cool, then systemize the other pieces. Whatever your lane is, it can help you stay in your lane. And I find that most of what happens, even in the space of personal development, is like, take your weaknesses and work on them. And to some extent, I understand that. There are some deficiencies that we might have to cover and grow and nurture. And also, double, triple, quadruple down on what you're best at. And I've found that when you do that, things happen. Systems can be people can be a person that takes on your responsibilities or a niche of your business, can be a system for groceries. I don't grocery shop anymore because I know that the drive to the grocery store, the shopping, and then the drive home is a two-hour task that takes me away from the thing I'm best at. Mm -hmm. And a system could be an automated software or some kind of tool that's available online to help you go from A to B or C much faster. And when you start to open up to like, oh, I, I think I could systemize this, what naturally happens is you end up more in your flow state. And I'm a believer mm -hmm. that when you're in your flow state, you win. Wow. That's been a huge revelation for me uh, recently as, as I've listened to people like yourself talk about these kinds of things, because I've noticed that 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 you and others like you are are so able to just achieve more when they, when they have that realization that you can lean, lean more heavily into the things that you're good at and that you enjoy. And is, is that, is that really the thing that you're, are you, are you attributing things that you're good at to what you enjoy or how, how are you finding that, mm. that lane that you want to be in? That's such a great question. I do think there's a really important Venn diagram in there. Mm -hmm. Ideally you want to find the the middle, right? Where they overlap. If you're good at it and you enjoy it, oh man, have you found the win? If it's only one of those, then there may be an opportunity to strip it down, dilute it, change it, adapt it so it is enjoyable. Generally speaking though, we are wired chemically to enjoy things we're good at. We're, we're just like programmed to look for, oh, I enjoy this almost because I'm good at it. Just like we enjoy winning, just like we enjoy the the rush of the victory, we're kind of naturally predisposed to find it. Yeah. If, if there's anything, though, that creates more flow, it's getting things out of the way. So 
my company name, get out of your own way, is sort of this mentality. If you can remove the things that are holding you back, usually it's us, the beliefs, the patterns that we have, you're probably going to fly because we're, we're meant to fly. And mm-hmm. if everyone is taking the thing that they're best at and leaning into that and has systemized around that, you end up with a bunch of super people who are cool, high-functioning, high-achieving people that not only do well, but they do well for others. Yeah. So that's, that's a great segue to, into, uh, into kind of what you're, what you do as a coaching practice here. So it, it sounds like you're kind of helping people with systems, but really getting people to, to address their limiting beliefs and everything like that. So what is it that, what, what, would, what are you finding that is, is most often the thing that's in our way? What, what, like, I know we ourselves are probably in our own way, but what, what part of that is, it makes, makes it so we, that prevents us from progressing? Well, I like to think of, well, let's first define a belief. Because sure. I think this is important. When when <laughs> I, I looked up the word belief in the dictionary like three weeks ago, and in the definition is the word belief. I was flabbergasted, <laughs> uh, just so circular. It's a really hard thing to define. Yeah. So the way I define a belief is it is a choice of truth. Hmm. Now that almost immediately can help someone with reconstructing their whole world. You might find that the choice of truth that you have is that you have to work incredibly hard to be successful. Yeah. Well, that's going to take you a certain direction. Your life is going to end up calibrated to that. You might find that the choice of truth is like, if I struggle and suffer now, my reward will come in the future which is perpetuated by not only religious beliefs, but a lot of entrepreneurial sort of like hustle grind porn that happens that's so loud. Well, if you change those choices of truth, you can change your future, your actions, your present, your habits. But what I find is largely at the root of most in entrepreneurs and in very ambitious individuals that may not necessarily be entrepreneurs is one simple denominator that is a choice of truth. I'm not hmm. enough. Hmm. And that package of messed up thinking can be brought on by parents, school, sports. It can be brought on by a life event, trauma. It doesn't necessarily matter. But usually at a core, we have some kind of uh, contest with Am I capable of? Am I worthy of? And when we get to the bottom of it, that's when magic starts to happen and people start to change. Mm, wow. Yeah, that's that's such a huge uh, thing that that I, I want to kind of touch on too. And I want to, I want, and, and I wanted to try and bring this back to you and see how you might have experienced that, because um, I, I get the feeling that that anybody that that's kind of had that revelation, had that like aha moment has experienced that feeling of not being enough in some way or, or, yeah. or something like that. How did that begin for you? How did you discover that? And what, what was the change that happened in you? I've come face to face with this numbers of times. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think that's important for people to hear, like as a coach, I'm not here. And, and even the, my team, like we're not here to tell you, that we're better than and have conquered it. We're here to walk with you through it. The 
numbers of times that I've run into that have always been at growth plates. Whenever I'm really intentional about expanding, I come smack into this. And what that often looks like for me, uh, I'll give you a couple of examples of this, but I'll, I'll architect it first. What that usually looks like for me is a lot of fear that's not real. It, it isn't even baked in reality. It's, it's like, I'm afraid of uh, being on stage. I'm afraid of speaking in public. I'm afraid of these things. And the reality is underneath that, I just don't believe that I'm good enough for that. I don't believe that mm-hmm. I'm good enough, period, to have the results of that. So a couple of examples. Uh, I can remember very vividly my career in soccer. So I coached uh, for about 12 years. But prior to that, I was in college. And prior to that, I played in high school and sort of club in the, the youth stages. When I was in high school, I tore my quad and like that injury rippled through every doctor that told me like, look, you're not going to play again. It's a really serious injury. It's probably best for you to take a long-term healing approach and just set your boots down, like run, jog. Mm -hmm. Well, I was really committed to playing in college. It was like my whole dream. Playing playing for life was my whole dream. Mm -hmm. And at that time, my senior year, that's when recruiting happened. So I didn't, I missed that shot. But I remember walking on, I like sent emails and letters to the coach at the college that I went to. It was a division one college and they opened up a window for walk-ons to, mm. to show up. And before that even became like an official opportunity, I would go play on like the, the college campus quad with a varsity team. Mm-hmm. And all of these thoughts went through my head. I kid you not, all of these at every moment, whenever I got the ball, whenever I left, whenever I walked up, they're more handsome than me. They're stronger than me. They're faster than me. They're smarter than me. They probably have better grades than me. They're probably like rocket scientists while they're also athletes. Wow, that kid's cool. Wow, he's got an English accent. Wow, that kid's really tough and strong and his feet move so fast. Like every possible comparison was made. Mm-hmm. And I was so externally motivated. I was not internally motivated. I, I had a chip on my shoulder and I wanted to prove something so I could push through it. But deep down, man, I was terrified. Mm-hmm. That story panned out well. I ended up walking onto the team and played through the rest of my, my college career. It showed up again, though, when I wanted to quit my job. And I, I did it smart. I built side income and, and grew and changed and evolved before I left. So I, was, I, was, I didn't need my job when I quit. But I do remember the crisis that happened on day one of quitting. Mm-hmm. So I quit May 31st, 2015. June 1, I party. And for like five days, I'm like, I'm free. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Right. <laughs> June 6th, I got hit with a panic attack that lasted eight days. How am I going to make money? Who's my boss? I don't know what to do. I have no direction. There's no structure. I'm lost. Mm-hmm. And all of those fears, the same fears with comparison happening, like look at all the entrepreneurs I know. I'm not them. I'm not good enough to be them. Came crashing back in. And and in that phase, I didn't have a place to go anymore. I'd already quit. Yeah. So both of those are examples of, of places I've confronted it. And I confront it on other daily basis that it may, I, I now know how to deal with it. So it doesn't get that magnified. Mm-hmm. But it comes from my place in childhood. It comes from what I was taught as a kid. It comes from me being bullied. It comes from me being outcast and made fun of. And to internalize all that really young isn't something that was my fault. 
I don't, I don't blame myself for that. I was a kid. I was impressionable. But as an adult, it is my fault if I don't work on it. And I've spent a lot of time and energy working on it. Yeah. So I know, I know that a lot of our listeners would, would kind of relate to a lot of that bullying and, and, and stuff that they've learned as kids like that, that actually imprint those beliefs in us. I know I do. So can you, can you talk a little bit to that? Like what, what kind of experiences shaped that, that paradigm for you? I was, I was always the, like the guy kicked out. I was always the last pick and I was always kind of the, the kid that you would include if you had pity, (laughs) at least that was my perception. And part of the work has been, is this real or is it perception? That's a big part of the, the work and some of the coaching structure as well. Sure. I remember feeling like I would never fit in. And here's the irony of, of that chronicle in my life. Now, what I desire most and what many of your listeners, you listening right now, may aspire to do is to stand out and to be mm-hmm. outstanding. I was outcast then, that's different, but I want to be outstanding now. So by, by nature, I kind of learned what it meant to be alone and independent and on my own. And now I understand that's a strength. I, I've done the inner work to, to kind of heal some of that. But I, I can remember being picked on for the way that I looked. I can be, I was picked on for like the clothes that I had on. Like I, I never was a cool kid. And I had somebody one time, this was like, I don't know, four years ago. Like, I don't know, there was a goofy exchange and they were like, oh, you're such a pretty boy. And I was like, I, I have never in my life been called that. That's amazing. <laughs> That's the, <Right? laughs> thank you. Oh my gosh. And it was, it was just such an interesting exchange because that was not what I identified as, right? I was always the guy that was like the less attractive, less cool, less liked kid, the nerd that was just like, you, you get invited sort of out of uh, pain and pity, not out of pride and excitement. Hmm. And, and I know many of us can relate to that. And yet yeah. I learned almost by default how to stand out. What a gift. Yeah. That's so, that's such a cool story. I mean, because I, and I know that a lot of people can relate to it. So thank you for sharing that vulnerable. Uh, you know, that, that we are so primed by what we've experienced as, as children that we think that that's what we still are today. And, you know, so, but, but, we're constantly shedding that skin. We're constantly growing. And so your growth took you to this point where clearly you weren't the last person picked. You were, you know, you became great at, at, at soccer. You joined a division one, you walked onto a division one soccer field and, and, and started competing with them despite the limiting beliefs. So, um, what was, what, what was it? I think, what was there a trigger point in your life or in your young life where that that switch flipped and you actually were able to tell yourself or at least convince, convince yourself to work harder than everyone else to achieve. How, and how did that, how did that look? Well, I think going the soccer route is the, the first time I had ever understood the relationship between work and outcome. Hmm. I was, I was like naturally pretty good at school and I, I just kind of figured out how to learn. So I didn't have to worry too much about that piece. But the athletic piece, I had to really, really segregate myself in order to, to find something. Now, my college career was not standout by any means. I struggled with limiting beliefs once I got there and a really bad mentality that if I could go back and change anything, it would be to go back with my mindset now because I'd be a much different player. Hmm. But that journey 
from like, hey, you can walk on to actually being accepted on the team really was a commitment to outwork everyone else. And by committing to that, a couple things started to fall into place. One, if I got attention for outworking somebody, I, I almost couldn't be rejected, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think um, the coach, Pete Karinji, he just retired. So congrats, Pete. I, I'm grateful for you and all that you taught me. And and like, I, I don't think he had a choice but to notice because, man, at some point it was like, dude, everyone that's starting and been on this team for several years is second and third and fourth. Who the hell is this kid that just just outworked you? Right. And even if all I was was a solid practice dummy, at least he had to be like, well, I mean, he's he's winning. Yeah. The that lesson though really attached a couple different beliefs in my system, and and I, I always am grateful to share these because I don't know that we hear them often enough. Mm-hmm. There were very talented players on the team that I don't think worked hard, and I was a kid with very little talent that worked hard. And that opened up more doors for me and has opened up more doors for me than any kind of talent, hands down, flat out. The other thing that changed through the course of soccer is that I'm just a gritty kid and I'm a gritty entrepreneur. I'm relentless. If, if you beat me, you're going to have to beat me again and that's going to suck for you because I'm going to then, even if you beat me again, I'm going to come back and you're going to have to beat me a third time. And eventually, yeah. we're playing a very different game. You're playing to win, I'm playing to keep playing. Mm. And the game at some point is a war of attrition. Who's going to quit first? And it won't be me. And it, it taught me something interesting about hard work. If I just don't quit, I'll probably get what I want. Now, not everything I want. However, many of the things that we all want are on the other side of a really deep commitment. And I think we're mostly afraid of that commitment. Wow. I love that perspective of, of playing to keep playing versus playing to win. Cause if you're always playing to keep playing, then yeah, you're, you're out, you're, you're out playing anybody else that's going to, going to stop playing over time. Um, and so I, I, can you, can you kind of, can you kind of expand on, on that, that last piece there that, you know, that, that you are, yeah, that, that, you know, you're, 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 you're playing to keep playing and you want to, um, yeah. Can you just expand on that a little bit more? Man, I, I love talking about this because yeah. this, this is a really hard thing to, to wrap your mind around. Mm-hmm. When, when we start with any pursuit, what we tend to look for is a measurable outcome. Okay. I worked this, this worked, I won, or I set this goal and I hit it. And at a certain point, you either run out of goals that feel exciting or you're just, you're just numb to it all. Or you realize that the way that you're living and the way that you're going about your day-to-day is wildly dissatisfactory. Mm-hmm. And that's because the attachment to wins is like a dopamine strike. I'm just going to jab, jab, jab. And you know, as many uh, like syringes as you have is how you measure your happiness. Okay, I hit my goal, yeah. happy. Hit my goal, happy. Well, if you run out of wins and goals, you're going to run out of happy. And we see this all the time in high performers. My approach has been, can I play a game that I love so flipping much that no matter whether I win or lose, I will keep fighting and I will keep playing and I will keep laughing and I will keep loving. 
And to do that requires a different criteria. There's uh, a great way to look at this is to think about a finite and infinite game. So a finite game is a couple things. It's agreed upon rules, fixed number of players, and agreed win or loss. You also have a winner and a loser. Mm -hmm. Then you have an infinite game where you have no agreed upon rules, no agreed upon number of players, and really no criteria for how you win or lose. Hmm. You get to self-create it. Entrepreneurship yeah. is often played like a finite game. I'm number one. I made more income. I hit more goals. We're the best in the industry. We're the top in the city. We're the top in the state. Okay. So you're like jab, jab, jab. Cool. But entrepreneurship is also an infinite game. The whole game is to keep playing. That's, that's the game I'm playing. I just want to keep playing this game for the rest of my life. I could change brands, yeah. build a new book, write a new subject, delete my whole history and be like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I can't believe I did that. And to be able to do that, you have to live by new standards. What internal flame can you activate and keep burning for the rest of your fucking life? And if you can find yeah. that and find your flow state in that, dude, you're limitless. But it's a different practice and different principle entirely. Mm -hmm. I totally, totally agree with that. Uh, yeah, that finding that finding that flow in that passion and that and that thing that you want, and uh, and. And I, I like the idea of the finite versus the infinite game because if you're if you're playing that infinite game with no rules, uh, you know, it seems like you've gone down that path in 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 your life. I mean, you you jumped out of after, after it looks like after college, you you kind of jumped into the coaching career where you coached female athletes, um, and um, and as a male, I'd imagine that that was you know that presented its own challenge and probably its own lessons, right? Um, uh, and then, you know, obviously you, you, had, you expanded into different things and we can get to that, but I, I want to get to that, that coaching part first. What did you learn from that in the letter play, uh, that, that you, that you released later? Man, I, I think that who I am is largely a direct outcome of the young women that taught me. They taught mm -hmm. me way more than I taught them. I'm pretty confident in that. I had been around the ecosystem of sports where toughness and rigor and discipline and like everything manly was like the thing. Mm -hmm. And when I got to coach some girls initially, it, it like broke every system. I, I couldn't, I couldn't like push. I had to flow. They taught mm -hmm. me how to be responsive versus reactive. One thing about sports that I will forever appreciate and that we can appreciate here in this moment, I could never prepare a halftime speech, which means that no matter what I might want to say at the beginning of the game, it's all based on the half. I couldn't prepare. I had to just be real and authentic. And that's very much the way I coach now. And it's the way that I'm here today. Like I don't have a prepared speech. I'm just here to find the groove that feels correct. That was one big lesson. The other is that emotional intelligence was far superior to athletic intelligence in that space. My mm -hmm. ability to, to like connect with them as people allowed me to push them. And that's really true in the space of coaching now and even get out of your own way. The whole team is really bought into this, this practice. Until someone trusts you, you can't push them. You have to get to trust first. And what they would say, and, and this is a really awesome compliment, they would say like, 
Coach Aaron, you you pushed me harder than any other coach, but I knew that even when I was angry or frustrated or upset or like really down on myself, I knew that you had my best intention in mind. And that, that's really important. Like I could take a lot of lesson from that comment. Hmm. Another big lesson from them was that no matter what happens in the sports arena, we are people beyond it. And performance on the field is largely dictated by the ecosystem off the field. And a confident player was a successful player, in my opinion. To build that took a lot of work sometimes. Sometimes I had to rebuild confidence. I had to like mend psyches. And I think that's true for all of us, but in particular with girls, like I, I never understood this as a guy through middle school, mostly because I was going through my own shit. But but as a guy that watched this, they had to be so much that was contradictory. It was like they had to be athletic, but then they also had to be like gentle and they had to be like strong and then they had to be like the weaker mm. gender. And then then like everything, they had to be like, like sexy but and like attractive but then they were also expected to be like like don't grow up too fast like it was just so conflicting and man i dealt with things like like um like weight issues and body image i dealt with things like mental health disorders and and eating disorders i dealt with parental death and challenges at home like all of it and i I was just a soccer coach. I was like 23 yeah. years old when I started. I didn't sign up for that. And yet, because I committed to helping them become the best young women they could, I took that stuff on. And they they showed me what I was capable of handling in so many ways. I'm so grateful for that group. Many groups. Yeah. Hey, everyone. If you're listening to this show and you want to rise above fear and achieve greater flow in your life, which of course translates into better results in business, better health, a more fulfilling lifestyle, and much, much more. And who doesn't, right? Well, then schedule your free strategy call with me today. Simply go to www.adamcliffordhill.com coaching and click on the link to start your journey to your high flow life. Well, not a lot of, not a lot of people would, would take the time to really look at those differences. I mean, I feel like a lot of a lot of coaches out there, and maybe I'm wrong, but would would take that on and just try to try to stick the stick the the, the round peg in the square hole or, or yep. whatever they need to do to do it. But you took it on and you you learned the lessons there. And if you could give any advice to maybe other coaches or other men in that space or or parents, like what, what would be like the maybe the two or three pieces of advice you would give to parents of young female athletes? So the book aptly titled uh, "Let Her Play." would would be one piece of advice. The the largest problem I ran into was players experiencing guilt, sadness, shame or disorientation because what their parents wanted was different from what they wanted. Their parents wanted wins, success, accolades, achievement and they just wanted to play. Or they didn't want to play and their parents wanted them to live out their childhood dream of playing soccer in college. So that's one. The other piece of advice for this is probably more for coaches than parents, but I think it's relative to both. We coaches tend to think we have the answers, and sometimes we do. I also think the value of being a coach is sometimes asking the questions. Mm -hmm. And if we do that, we have to be prepared to listen. And sometimes the players had better insights than I did. And that yeah. might be, you know, how do we adjust your position? Are you in the right position? It might be, uh, 
what what do you think the team needs right now? Like I got a lot of value out of playing laser tag, just like I did a practice. Sometimes the team needed that. Mm-hmm. So sometimes listening is better than speaking when you're a coach. Yeah. And then my last one I'll, I'll share here for a parent. And if, if you want more of this, let her play is a good book and I'm working on let him play. So that's coming out later. Uh, but if you're, if you're really interested in change, one of the best places to look for opportunities to help your daughter in sports is in the car ride home. Mm-hmm. It's where the most damage is done. People are getting like crushing their their kids in a car. They're like, did, did did you see that Shannon was open in the middle? Oh wow! You know, uh, yeah. next time, you know, make sure that you strike with your left foot. Like, if she has not invited a conversation for critique, it is not the place to offer it. Hmm. And parents should be really mindful of the conversation they have in the car because. Unlike any other conversation that you might have, there is no way out. And when a kid feels trapped, one of two things happens. Either they are going to internalize that critical voice, and it's going to be the voice that follows her for the rest of her life. When she applies for a job, she's going to be like, you're probably missing something. You're going to miss that pass to Shannon. Or when she goes to take on a big responsibility, she's going to be like, I I can't. I missed that pass to Shannon. I'm going to miss this too. So Mm. that's one. Or she will learn to bury all of her hurt and pain and sadness and emotionally will like clam up. And for the rest of her life, she will be trying to figure out how do I emotionally express myself because it's never been safe. And that is such a bigger impact than any loss on a soccer field, a baseball field, a softball field will ever have. Parents should be really wary of how they enter that conversation. Let her play has a framework about it if they need it. But even if it's just an awareness thing, be hyper mindful. That is a breeding ground for self-content. Hmm. That's a great, that's great advice. And I, I appreciate that as someone with a young daughter now, knowing that, that, uh, uh, you know, that there's, that there's ways to handle these things that, 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 that you've learned through that experience and, and from both sides, you know, being on a men's team, coaching women's teams, and, um, and that, that coaching, it evolved from there. And I, I know I'm probably skipping a whole lot of life here, but, um, but, you know, you, you took that coaching on into something called the money club, which is, you know, which, which is, was really helping with financial education. How did, how did that transition come along and, and what was, what was the approach there and, and how are you helping people to learn more about finance? Being around kids for a lot of time. Kind of just brought it, it brought to light there's something missing in school. I was at that time studying a lot of money. A friend of mine named Josh, he and I came together and we're like, maybe we can put this this like two lane highway into an intersection. Mm-hmm. So, like any entrepreneurship endeavor, the goal is to take two things that are unlike and make them like. So we took this idea of learning about money, all the things we wish we were taught as a kid. And we combined it with this idea of sport. So we made a sport out of money and mm. we started a nonprofit. It wasn't called Money Club at the time, but the, the goal then was to, to create an experience where someone could learn about money, mostly through failure. And yeah. so we engineer this game, we get a whole movement happening, we grow it. 
And the nonprofit space doesn't really yield well. So we decided to go into venture and we, we raised some private money, some venture backed uh, money comes in and, and we're able to build scale because we knew that an in-person sport wouldn't work. Well, along that line, what we had learned was that kids need to learn about money. Adults need to learn about money. A lot of people need to learn about money. And if we're going to really tackle this, we've got to, we've got to be growing ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it forced me to really start to learn and study and find mentors, et cetera. Because at that time, I'm like, I don't know, 26 years old. Yeah. The focus on kids, though, was our mission. And one of the hardest things that has been a part of the Money Club journey is that we had, we had raised capital and we had spent a year and a half building an online platform that would have let us scale. It made teaching really easy. It still exists. It makes so that a teacher, a counselor, doesn't need to master money to be able to conversate and communicate about it. So really great tool. And we finished in February 2020. So like six, three weeks after we finished a $275,000 build, education like shut down. And yeah. we, we lost every contract. We lost every proposal, every RFP that we had worked hard to create was gone. Wow. So in, in sort of the chaos of that, we ended up pivoting into workplace wellness. We had a lot of conversations during COVID on like, hey, adults, here's how you navigate this very uncertain water with your finances. Here's how you can plan. Here's how you can remediate. All of those things started to be conversations. And then before you knew it, we had built out a curriculum where we would come into a company and offer workplace benefits. So to make that long story very clear, what we had done over the course of about seven years is built a staircase from like young adults all the way to wealth of how you build, how you understand, how you learn, how you grow with money. And I I don't think I was nearly the leader that I needed to be in a lot of ways. I, I had a lot of growing up to do, but I was really passionate about it. And just like soccer, my hard work and the team's hard work is what kept us moving forward when many closed. Mm-hmm. The whole mission there is that I and our team believe that if you give someone financial intelligence, it changes the person, it changes the family, it changes the community, it changes the business, all of that. And we wanted to replicate financial education because it's largely missing everywhere. Yeah. Oh, I, I can I can definitely uh, uh, relate to that and, and, and understand that. And do, do you feel that that also comes that that lack of financial intelligence or or some of our paradigms are, are tied into our values or our beliefs as we're, say, growing up, kind of going back to that, that a lot of those those beliefs are, are shaped in that that time by how our parents might be uh, have a relationship with money or how those we know we have relationships with money. And how, how do we and how how do we break that and re reconnect a new relationship? It's a really powerful question. And one of, the, one of the hard parts about topics of personal finance that mm-hmm. I think goes undiscussed is it's really personal. It's like different for everybody. We have our own values, what we buy, what we like, et cetera. Like you put any two couples together and you're like, hey, what do you buy and like to spend your money on? And then you ask the other person like, what do you buy and spend your money on? They're probably different. Mm-hmm. So evolving your relationship with money is a very personal process. I I do think, though, that all transformation starts at awareness. And if you're going to change your relationship with money, you got to first know where you are and what got you there. 
or you might have a bad relationship with debt. You might have a really big spending problem. You might not want to take on more than one credit card. You might Mm -hmm. not know anything about investing. Like until you are moderately aware, it's hard to change. Your relationship with money, Adam, I, I love the way you said that. Like it's, it's our relationship with money. It's not money. It's our relationship with it. And, you know, some, some of you listening may have a toxic relationship with money. You got to break up with that girlfriend, boyfriend, friend, whatever it is, you got, you got to break up and then you can form a healthier bond. Sometimes education can catalyze that. Sometimes it requires an event to catalyze that. My hope is that you can catch it before the event because the event is never a good event. Uh, but transformation takes time. It takes effort and energy. And if, if you're willing to learn, challenge your own beliefs, unlearn what you may think you know, you can actually make tremendous change in your financial future without, uh, without having like millions in the bank or even money in the bank. It's your relationship with money that's got to change first. Mm-hmm. That, and that's, uh, and I don't know if you agree with this, but that, that's really true of any relationship or any, anything that you yep. want, any transformation it's it's either going to happen uh, before the event occurs, and so hopefully you can catch it then, or it's going to be a an event. And typically, that transformation is be a bad event. You know, you've uh, yep. uh, it's a health scare, it's yes. you know a DUI or any things like that. Yeah, so um, so it's certainly true with with money as well. Um, and uh, uh, so you know, one of the key takeaways that I'm kind of getting from this conversation, which is which is really great, is is that. You know, you've developed a sense of humility through this whole process, even though you're, you know, young and starting all of these things and, and, you know, experiencing a lot of these different transformations. How did you build that humility? And, and, and how does that humble nature play into what your, you know, your coaching is now and how you're, how you're helping other people to succeed? Mm, humility is, is a really good word to, to unpack. I'm going to explain two definitions of humility, one that I lived by and ascribed to, and then one that has evolved from a lot of work. Humility to me meant downplaying, people-pleasing, self-sacrifice, and in almost so many ways, undervaluing myself. That's what humility showed up as. I always, I think it's a noble trait, but it came with all these nefarious agendas attached to it. It, by so many terms, was a limiting belief and a limiting commitment. Mm. The way I describe humility now is five words. Humility, being humble, is ownership with awareness and service. That helped free me from a lot of really messed up tethers because the other way was like, don't, don't brag. Don't say you're good at it. Don't be good at it. Actually just fit in with the crowd, just hide. Hmm. Yeah. And this new definition allows me to, to think of this entirely different. I'm not humble when I'm unsuccessful because w- what kind of humble world am I actually creating? I'm I'm creating like suppression is humility. If I own that I'm really good, I'm a really good coach. I have helped a lot of people make a lot of change in their life and I'm really good at it. And 
if I understand with awareness that there's a time and a place to say that and a time and a place not to say that, and maybe a way to say that that's connective, a way to say that that's off-putting, now I've got a different mechanism here. Because mm-hmm. now what I'm doing is I'm, I'm still aware of my strength. And some of you listening have amazing strengths and you should never have to downplay that. I'm really good at this. There's a way to say that that's ownership. And there's a way to say that that's arrogance. The service part is also important. This is where the humility really ties in. If you have awareness and you, have, and you can offer service, help people. I, I have no problem coming down to wherever anyone is. I will pick up garbage. I will help someone like rake leaves. If we're putting together an event, sometimes I have to tell myself like, hey, you've also got your responsibilities to handle because I'm over here helping everyone else. But I've got no issue with any kind of hierarchy, none. Because mm-hmm. from a place of service, that is humility to me. And that redefinition really freed me from having to suppress myself, my character, mm-hmm. and my strengths. It set me free. Wow. I, that's, that's a great definition. And I, I appreciate that because looking at both sides of that, you know, you, you could find the faults and you could find the superpowers. You know, finding, finding the faults of, well, on one side of the coin, you're being a people pleaser if you're not intentional about it and, and that. I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> there's a, a good and bad in, in really any noble words or, 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 you know, seemingly negative words. I mean, we talk about there being superpowers and fear as well. Yep. But the way when, I wanted to unpack the uh, ownership and awareness and service in there again, um, a little bit more, because with regard to awareness, what is that? What does that awareness look like? Is it just being aware of, of what, you know, how you're uh, living in that experience or, or aware of your own, uh, uh, your own strengths or what, what, is, what does that look like? To me, it's an awareness of the ecosystem that you're in because mm-hmm. there's not always a place to own outwardly. You can sometimes own internally. And it's an awareness of why you want to share. So for example, mm-hmm. if, if I'm in a room of, of kids, what I may need to own is that, you know, I've, I've built an awesome life and it's taught me a lot. I've, I've also had to work very hard for it. So if I, if I can own that, my intention for sharing is, and, and the awareness I have is like, I'm here to help these kids. Can I show them an example of what's possible? Mm-hmm. There might be another ecosystem where in a, in a group of men, I deeply want to share and I like outwardly own that things are going great and I'm growing and everything's awesome because I want them to respect me. And in that mm-hmm. case, my ownership might be internal. Hey, you are strong. You don't need to prove it to anybody here. You don't need mm-hmm. to say it. It doesn't need to be said. And I think understanding the context of why you share is a, is a deep set of work. We really have to understand our motivations and be able to hear our own inner child and what he is screaming for, he or she. And Mm -hmm. my sense is that when we go to share, we often have the top line agenda and the bottom line agenda. And in developing more awareness, these things start to overlap and they just become one agenda. And in like developing awareness is a really hard thing. It takes a lot of time. So it sort of masks the like difficulty of this. But as you build awareness, what you may find is that you're sharing for reasons that aren't necessary. 
and missing the chances to share where it's most meaningful. And when you say, hey, I remember having a, a, a basic job and now I have like a really fulfilling lifestyle where I get to help people all the time become more bright. And I'm so proud of that. And I'm very proud of myself. And I also am so proud of all the people that have helped me that you know that that's coming from the right place and landing in the right place. And if you can figure that piece out, even with clunky practice, I really feel like you can make a dent because we need people that are great at what they do and to tell yeah. people they're great at what they do because they can make a dent in the world if they do that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like that ownership piece comes first. So yeah. you own it. You own what you're, you're good at. You own that piece. And then you, then you, then you have this awareness of your environment, your ecosystem of whatever you're participating in and interpret that as, as far as how you can best serve in that community. Amen. Is that fair to say? I love that. Awesome. I know it well, yeah, it's, that's a, that's a beautiful way of looking at it. And I appreciate you kind of you sharing that. Um, and it, I guess it begs the question too, is everybody coachable? I know it's a bit of a loaded word question, but it is curious to know your thoughts on that. I, I don't think so. Uh, I have had to turn people away. And uh, interestingly, when people ask about coaching, depending on whether or not I have space, I will sometimes put them through hoops to see like, hey, are you coachable? Hey, fill this form out. Like the form has deep questions. It's not a two word answer. <laughs> yeah. I think that the reason we may or may not be coachable is largely about how willing are we to, to look in the mirror and self-assess. To me, if you're willing to look in the mirror, you're coachable. Most people don't want to look in the mirror and take responsibility for where they are, what they've got, who they are, mm -hmm. who they're becoming. And it's impossible to be coachable if you haven't accepted your responsibility. Because as a coach, I cannot make any dream happen. I can only accelerate the speed at which it happens. And that's a mm -hmm. really important thing, right? I can't steer a car that's not moving. I can't guide a bowling ball that's not rolling. I have to have some kind of movement. I can help you go get to the goal faster and probably more accurately. But you're not coachable unless you're already in motion. And being in motion in this case in the coaching container is, are you willing to look at yourself in the mirror and take responsibility? Take responsibility for, for everything, all, all of everything that's affecting that person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Your, your tendencies, your patterns, your placement, your results, your habits, your beliefs. Uh, did I say habits? Because habits, habits, <laughs> habits, habits, <laughs> habits, habits. Uh, and most, probably most centrally, knowing that uh, this can, can ruffle feathers, you have to be willing to take responsibility for what you don't have. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to, to look externally for that. Yeah. And that's, that's always, that's always a tough one because when we get into that victim mentality of, of like, this stuff is happening to me. I can't, I, I have no control over it. I have no responsibility over it. Uh, you know, that, that's a dangerous place. And that's, it's, it's, you know, it, it's a place that causes addiction, causes pain, causes trauma. And when we're stuck there, as you say, we're not coachable. And that's also a dangerous place. If we can't be coachable, we can't grow. Well, we're not yeah. growing. We're not getting fulfilled. Yeah. So uh, I, I appreciate the clarification on that responsibility is the, is the place to start looking in the mirror is that, is that place to start? Um, and so when, when you're looking at, 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 so I imagine people who are coming to you for coaching have, have reached something of a, they feel stuck 
they're feeling like they're, you know, um, they're, they're feeling like maybe they reached a plateau. What, what is your, um, what is your process of breakthrough? How, how, uh, if, if there is one or, or is there a, something you take uh, people through to help, help them to get beyond their limitations and fears to get to the point they want to get to? A plateau is an interesting place. And I think we tend to discount it for not being meaningful. When we're on a growth curve for a long time in personal development or in entrepreneurship, we hit a plateau and we're like, something's wrong. Ah, fire. Right. And first thing it's important to reclassify what a plateau is. If, if we've encountered a space where we're not growing as much, one of two things is happening. Either we are not clear on what hike, what journey is next, mm-hmm. or we do not have the skills, materials, team, whatever you want to call it, ready for that next journey. When you reframe it that way, then it's like, okay, am I clear on my next journey? Probably not. I'm probably at a place of like, well, I've gotten here and I don't know what's next. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not clear. It is fuzzy. It's murky or it's misconfigured. Mm -hmm. The other is maybe I know how to get there. I'm just, I'm not the guy. Maybe my belief is that I'm not the guy or I'm not the person or, or I'm not capable or I don't have the team in place. Like I see that this is possible, but I just don't have the team. And every major hike begins with a team. Right? If you want to climb Everest, you've got a team. You ain't going alone. Yeah. That's dangerous. So similar to what I know you've helped many do with a triathlon, you've got multiple phases in that journey. And it all starts with, I'm going to sign up for that. But when we hit a plateau, we're, we're not sure what to sign up for. And once you make the decision of this is where I want to go, then the growth starts again. But I find mm-hmm. that people want to rush out of plateaus because they don't like the discomfort of not knowing. And that's a great place to ask the questions. That's like the magic. Like, don't know, don't leave right now. Don't, don't exit. I know it's uncomfortable to sit in silence, right. but it's really important because something in your system is telling you whatever you've been doing isn't working anymore. You've got to make change. And we tend to just like find the immediate outlet and all of a sudden we're, we're like lost in the same problem that we just had again because we didn't stop long enough to figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like uh, the GPS has not yet finished recalculating and we just turn. So hmm. we have to sit in that discomfort for a little while. And I think that many, many entrepreneurs get to a plateau and they, they, it's like warning signs. And I would say that if, if you're in a plateau or you feel like you're approaching one, the best thing to do is to like welcome it. Okay, let me scale yeah. back a little bit. Let me take a break. Let me like make two hours a day of, of free time. Let me get back to my values, that, back to the things that I started this journey for the first place based on. Like that kind of stuff opens you up because otherwise you're copy pasting the same problem and going to perpetuate it even further. Yeah, that's so that's so huge. I mean, just the idea that if, and if you're feeling discomfort in, in a lot of things, a lot of time that could just be a signal that you do need to recalibrate and relook at what you what you need and just ask the questions, get curious. I mean, maybe it's that, you know, you, you talk about the awareness of being aware and the power of being aware that it, all transformation starts with awareness. Usually the next step is getting curious about it. And then like they, taking that curiosity and finding out where, where that next leap is going to come from. So that's huge, huge advice. 
Man, Aaron, I wish we could talk for another hour because it's this has been just <laughs> huge. But I, I have to ask you because I wanted to. I, I know you're 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 you just had a, a, a new baby, you a new new father. How has that changed your perspective in your life? Has it changed in any way, or it has nothing that I've ever done in in every capacity, entrepreneurship, pursuits, passions, friendships. Nothing's been forever. It's the first thing that's been forever. I'm a dad forever. And that's got its own gravity to it and its own unique, like awesome flavor to it as well. Um, it's presented a lens of, of change in a lot of ways. And there have been a lot of hard circumstances that I've had to navigate around change outside of that that come from that. So it's it it definitely invites a new uh like palette and a different taste for things. Hmm. It has been a beautiful process. It's been a clunky process, chaotic process. Uh but it's also one where I'm learning a lot. Like he's teaching me a lot. He's 6 months old, he'll be 7 months old tomorrow. Like he's teaching me a lot and I'm really grateful for that chance to have to regularly learn in a new way all the time. Do you feel that you were prepared well, given your experience, <laughs> you know, working with kids and, and in the past and all of this kind of stuff? <laughs> I, I chuckle because, uh, so Emerson is, uh, almost seven months and seven months ago, I was like, we didn't know the gender. So I'm like, girl, 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 girl. Cause I'm like, I know, I, at least I know like at least what, what 10 to 17 and I know that space. Right. I think that I feel some sense of understanding of what he will need. The baby phase is very new to me and, and very difficult for me. So I'm mm -hmm. trying to give myself a lot of grace and offer a lot of patience to myself. Cause this is, this is not a, uh, easy experience given what I already know. It's wildly different. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of beauty, a lot of pain, a lot of joy, a lot of everything that's, you know, coming. And, um, but it's all so wonderful. And so I, I'm, I'm really happy for you on that. And I, I'm one of, one of the key you know, takeaways I got from this conversation. I'm very grateful for what was beautiful about this is that in every, you know, direction we went, we went a lot of different directions and I'm, I'm hoping we could do a round two and go deeper on a lot of this stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I learned that, you know, from, from the aspect of a coach, a lifelong coach that, that you are really, that you are constantly learning yeah. and you're learning from people. And there's that, there is that sense of, of awareness and, and curiosity and continuous growth from your end, which is, which is hugely powerful. And it's one of the reasons I love this format too, is I get to learn from people like you. So selfishly, I'm, I'm grateful for that. But, um, any, uh, uh, where can people find you and what, uh, um, uh, and you, you've got a new book, uh, well, you've got a book coming, uh, uh, tell, tell us a little bit about that too. Well, let her play came out in 2020. I decided yeah. that, especially with a son, the plan was always to do a let him play, but in 2020, like sports stopped. So I was like, uh, let me cool yeah. this down. Let him play is sort of an homage and a, a tribute to me becoming a dad. So it's less, I have a lot of experience and more here are the commitments that based on my experience, I'd like to make as a dad. And here's what you can learn too. So I'm really excited about that. I'm not sure when that'll be out, but I plan on releasing that this year. Um, 
get out of your own way. You know, if, if you're, if you find yourself stuck or at a plateau, you can just go to areyouinyourownway.com and learn about what we have going on. Just, just reach out to us, schedule a call and, and we'll figure out how we can help. We've got a retreat in May and in July that is coming up. We'll probably do one in quarter three or two and then in quarter four as well. So those are avenues where if people are ready for change, but want to be accelerated or want help and support through it, we've got lots of different options that we have available. Um, and, you know, I think I'm, I'm just, I'm learning how to be of better service. So if people listen to this and they want to reach me, like send me a message on Instagram. It's, it's Aaron Velke. It's not cryptic. Send me a message. Tell me what you learned. Tell me what you want more of so that I can continue to take everything that I've learned and, and the resources that I have and the network that I have and pour them back in. Like I, I really believe in that service piece. I will own what I'm great at and what I'm doing. I will also stay aware that I can learn way more and I don't know all the answers and I will regularly lay down everything I can to be of service. So I'm open if anybody wants help. Awesome. I can definitely speak to that. Uh, in, in the short time I've known you, Aaron, you've been incredibly given, incredibly service focused, you know, in, in the groups that in the circles that we are, are in, you are a leader in those groups and, uh, and I'm grateful for it. I've learned a lot from you and, uh, appreciate you having, having you here and, uh, to everyone else out there. Thanks for joining us. Um, thank you, Aaron Velke for joining me. Talk to you all soon. Thanks, Adam. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Flow Over Fear podcast. If you're enjoying this show, please do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. I will be so grateful if you do, and I'll look forward to bringing you more value in our next episode. I'll see you then.